disconcerting to me to lose the self. Um, so, and I can't see my own face on the screen, which is okay. So now I have no self view either at the moment, which yeah, is perfect for this talk. Oh, I'm looking for David. Did we lose him? <laughs> Nicholas asked. On my screen, he's frozen. Oh. David, if you can hear us, can you turn off your video so that um, we might be? Oh, there you are. And now you're muted, David. Can you see? Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. I'm going to do this using a cell connection, it looks like. Um, yeah, and my computer's going to kind of restart. We'll see if it gets messy, you know, I'm just going to throw the bone to somebody else. Yeah. So we thought, okay, Diana has sort of laid out the abstract kind of setting and the aggregates around which a lot of questions are coming. And, um, we've then with Kim's wonderful meditation sort of just had an opportunity to interact with the sort of the arising of the aggregates and noticing uh, perhaps our uh, views and how those things come up around the aggregates. I've lost my Zoom connection. I don't know if it's possible for you to... You could reset. I'm going to go to sell. So Okay, I've already yeah. reset several times. Yeah, try the router out there. Well, it's on. Should I turn it off? Apparently, everybody where David is doesn't have connection. You, you're muted. Oh, there we go. Can you unmute yourself, David? I know I'm among a friendly community. We've all had this issue this year. And I have, I have a, a spouse who's actually also lecturing to undergraduates in her case in the next room. So she's, uh, she's lost her connection as well. So Diana's laid out the theory. We had this wonderful opportunity to sort of watch the arising of our experience sort of in the context of the aggregates and the way they interact. Remember, this isn't a, this is a way we parse experience. It's a way of helping us interact with the experience that we have as it comes up. It doesn't actually, um, you know, there's no indication that this is the way or the only way that our experience arises. Uh, now we want to go back into the, the sutta and particularly take up the paragraphs that, that in which the Buddha provides a teaching about the way that selves and views arise around the aggregates. And the first part of this in paragraphs 15 to 21 in Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation uh, takes up this uh, idea of six standpoints for views, that our views uh, rest on certain foundations. And these are the five aggregates now uh, sort of laid out in a couple different ways. And in addition, a particularly common view of the self, one that seems to stand in for mainstream religious perception or ideas about the self in the Buddhist time. The idea that there is a, um, um, a, an eternal self which, with which we can make direct connection with um, the, the cosmos to put it in a nutshell, whole different lecture. <laughs> and to each of these, it's clear that um, we, we attribute 
self and aspects of self. And uh, the Buddha suggests that when we do this, agitation arises. And there's a few paragraphs on the way agitation arises around these views for one who holds them and for a practitioner who's able to hold them lightly or let them go, agitation does not arise. When in paragraphs 22 to 29, the foundations are um, shown to be themselves lacking in any substance. And this is where the Buddha uses, as is common in, in various suttas, the idea of impermanence or unreliability of all that we can know, that um, every foundation we create, every foundation that we imagine for views or for a view of self in particular, uh, is equally flimsy or lacking in, in substance. And Diana pointed to this earlier. When we look for a self, it's really hard to find selves. Uh, it's uh, very fi- hard to find um, any self that is of the sort that we want a self to be. Full, eternal, in control, even of our bodies, you know. Nothing in our experience um, is entirely under our control or within our permanent possession. And this is something that is um, deeply troubling, I think. And as a result of this, knowing this on some deep level, we create a lot of views and a lot of selfing results. So there's a particularly poignant passage that struck me as poignant this morning at paragraph 22, where he says, practitioners, he says bhikkhus, but it's directed to us, to practitioners. You may well acquire that possession, a possession that is permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change. And that might, this, and, and a possession that might endure as long as eternity. But do you see any such possession? And again, Diana pointed us to this. The next, very next par- uh, portion, he says, is are, are these adri- attributes of the self anything that you can find? Is the self anything you can hold on to? And does it or and does it allow you to hold on to anything? And of course, the answer is the same. Do you see any such self? No. So I just want to point out that these really rich passages, with their repetition over and over again of this idea, not mine, not I, not a self that these are repeated over and over again. I didn't count the number of times, but in meditation or in a Dharma talk, the repetition of these things starts to really, I think, help understand and create a framework for, um, really for Aritta's challenge, which is, I think, a challenge that we share or share in. So these discussions, it's important to point out, take us back to the original setting of the scene at the very opening. Aritta's attachment to views of self is what um, is what has him holding on so tightly to a view that is counter to the teachings and holding on to this dangerous water snake as a result by that wrong end. We see um, in Aritta's um, holding on now that we've had these things built out for us that he's doing these things that again Diana pointed to that there's an identification with what comes up in experience and there's an appropriation of it. We want to see in the aggregates that these are aspects of self and that we, we own them, that we have some control over them. 
And these help us meet sort of our existential quiveriness around um, the, 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 perhaps the true nature of experience, which, um, which we can explore in this practice. And I think these passages help us, again, get back to um, Arita's problem and see that there's this very close, and it's not necessarily, it's more of a causal field or a field of conditions as that, than a linear progression, but I'll just lay it out kind of in a linear fashion. But that somehow wanting, selfing, the arising of fixed views, our clinging to views, and our suffering all come up together. You know, so when we grab the teachings by the wrong end, we get swept away in this flood of arising of clinging and holding. And by the same token, when we get hold of the teachings by the right end, we have a way to cross over this flood of particularly a flood of things and views that arise in the mind. Perhaps that's how the two similes are related. A question I suggested at the end of the session. And um, the Buddha seems to see these things as all related. And to jump ahead slightly to a passage we'll return to, a famous passage at paragraph 38, the Buddha reminds us that now and always he's taught only two things, or one thing, suffering and the cessation of suffering. I say one thing because the indication is if we understand suffering, we're, we, can, it can, we can free ourselves from it or let go of the things that happen with suffering. So the implication here is that this co-arising, if you want, of wanting, selfing, holding on to self, viewing self, um, appropriating things as self, that these, these things, in a sense, are the same thing, that this is the arising of suffering. And this is what the Buddha is pointing to, that the arising of the imposition of self on experience is identical with or a way to view and a useful way, a freeing way to view the suffering that we know. So I lost track of like clocks and times. I think I'm still within time and I'm going to pass the baton back to Diana and probably briefly look at my router. (laughs) Anyway, I hope, I hope that was heard and seen. Yes. Yes. That was wonderful. That was really great. David. That was really Okay bringing us back to the sutta and our friend Arita. Yeah, so maybe I'll just, um, I'm going to open it up for questions. Um, And before I'll I'll acknowledge, so Steve, he wrote a chat about, okay, well, um, how do we understand in Pali this word anatta? Some translators say not self, and some say no self, and is there a difference? And and then I think in a subsequent chat, uh, the uh, Steve put, of course, I'm summarizing that um, it's about the clinging to an idea of a self that the Buddha was really pointing to. So I'll say something about the anatta. That's absolutely right. Different translators translate it in different ways, and it can be um, maybe it has some things implicit in it when we translate it as no self or not self. And I would say a big portion of Mahayana often even uses this word true self also when they're um, pointing to anatta. And, um, and it's all about clinging. It turns out to be all about clinging. And maybe I could just loop this back to the second noble truth. We know this, it's a source of suffering, or we could even say clinging is suffering. 
Okay, so with that, um, I'd like, I see Randy, you have your hand up. Can I, um, would you like to unmute yourself? I just wanted to give you some feedback in relation to your invitation to talk about what the group was like because, um, and for David and Kim also, that um, these questions and things that were kind of thrown out there in the meditation by you, Kim, um, launched us into a discussion of philosophy, which I'm sure could have gone on for two hours. And because the members of our group were, um, my co-members were quite sophisticated in their, in their experience and understanding of um, Buddhist principles. Um, but I'll just say that um, David's invitation um, was um, very, philosoph very philosophical, look, look, looking at views versus perspectives versus uh, worldview versus models of the world. And Kim's um, statement um, threw us for a loop, which was relax, it runs by itself. So um, we um, got into, well, what in the world is it? And so that's all I wanted to say. I'm, I was very impressed by how you um, spun things into this philosophical, apparently, realm. Thank you, Randy. It could have been philosophical. It also could have been interpreted as, uh, okay, we're in this meditation. How does it feel to relax and, and to notice what is trying to control what's happening? If we think it's not running by itself, we think we have to control it. So that it, it was, uh, and, and that there could have been another way is what I, what I want to say. And I don't know, Kim, if you want to add something. Oh, I don't know. I guess I would say um, I can say it's raining and I don't have to know what it is. <laughs> it's similar. Um, yeah. So it's useful to see where the mind goes with um, certain phrases. I think I'll just echo what Diana said. And that too is in the realm of, of mindfulness and awareness. Lori, is your hand still up? Well, my, my question was similar to Steve's about not self versus no self. And I would add in non-self because I've heard and read teachers take very adamant stands about these distinctions. Um, and I was never sure if they were... more you know, they had some kind of um important meaning meaning um because usually we're reading translations of translations and um I, but in in terms of my relationship to it diana's statements about it's not the or steve's too that it's not about the distinction it's about the attachment that resolves the issue for me
Yeah, that makes sense, Lori. Thank you for bringing it back into the, um, the realm of suffering and the cessation of suffering, which is, you know, as David said, that's what it comes down to in the end. But the Buddha does give us a little um, something to practice with where he, he teases the Buddha, the, the, the bhikkhus a little bit. And he says, you may well acquire that self that is, you know, everlasting and perfect. And then he laughs and says, ha, 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 but is there such a self? Do you see such a self? And the bhikkhus all say, no, we don't. So um, we don't have to believe that. Um, it's worth practicing with. But that's kind of the criteria is, you know. Is it leading toward or away from suffering? And there are skillful times to have a sense of self. I'll maybe touch on that a bit on Saturday. It's not that so, so, but we have to be aware that that's what's happening and that it is skillful at that moment. That's probably enough on that for now. So, um, Maybe uh, Kathleen will be our uh, last question. Hi, um, excuse me. Um, first, I wanted to say thank you. It is such a joy to have this um, <clears throat> for me, this community. It's my first entry here and I feel less alone having this. So I just wanted to say that. And then the other thing, when Kim, you held up the cup, and I thought, isn't that it, the clinging to even knowing that I think it's a club? Um, and and that identification or the appropriate, like, not that I think I'm a cup, but the fact that I don't think of any other possibility, how hard it is to see anything as it is, because memory comes <clears throat> on top of the perception, I guess, is such an interesting word um so it's hard to see anything um without all these mental formations on top of it i guess is what i wanted to say so i love the cup or whatever it was that you were holding that's oh. <laughs> usually but it could you know if i planted something in it it could be a planter um i've used it for paint can't paint brushes in between. So, you know, there's a lot of other things that this could be. That's why I call it what, or whatever it was that you were like, because even for a moment of holding, this is not what I think it is for all time because it's impermanent too. Yeah. Sorry. And, <laughs> see, knowing that there's no suffering then in knowing that, um, you know, being aware of the impermanence of it. And I'll, I'll leave room for Diana or David to add something if they want. But this is, this is kind of the, um, the, the bind that we find ourselves in as we start exploring the aggregates. And I love it. We should be uncomfortable about this and say, wait a minute, how can I see anything? The real harm comes when we see, for example, people as the same that we've seen them for the last 30 years and they are not, we don't allow them to change, for example. That causes fair amount of dukkha in the world. Um, but you can't, you realize that you can't navigate the world unless you use perception and a common conventional understanding of things. So we're asked to develop some mental agility around that. The Buddha walked through the world and he called himself I. It was okay. He didn't suffer for it. So um, 
you know, there's, uh, we're starting to see a little bit more that uh, awakening is not about seeing pixelated, you know, breakup of everything at every moment. Um, but maybe it has more to do with some fluidity and flexibility and ability to be appropriate for the circumstances to have a ment mental understanding that aligns with what's going on. Yeah. All right. Oh, we're right near the end. Well, good. Luckily, I'm the one who's supposed to do the next part, um, which is that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll meet again on Saturday at the same time. And um, in between now and then, if it's of interest, you may want to observe the aggregates in your experience. If all five is too much, you can just do the three that we simplified it into of physical experience, mental experience, and the knowing, knowing of experience. And just notice um, how those play in and out. And if you want, you can uh, sort of train your perception now and then and, and, and remember, oh, this is not mine. This is not me. This is not myself. You can kind of put that in um, sometimes. It's uh, usually you can see that there's a reduction of suffering when we do that. Um, and then you might want to reread the whole sutta just because um, our last session will be finishing up the parts we haven't talked about yet and also kind of tying it up. So that will put us on the same page. And then uh, maybe we'll just end with a gathering up of the merit of this um, challenging practice that we've done today. I want to appreciate the engagement with teachings on selfing and not self, which bring up a lot of interesting views and feelings and perceptions and all of those things. And it's great to engage with all of that. I loved all the questions and comments and um, you can see the range that we saw. And so we understand that people are engaging in many different ways and, but it's all, um, it's all the Dharma. And so uh, let's end with a very unconventional appreciation of ourselves. It's so great that we are people working together to read the teachings of the Buddha and grapple with them in various ways. And may that be for our own enrichment and for the reduction of suffering in ourselves and those around us um, as we learn to be more flexible, more fluid, less identified, less graspy. It's all good. So um, please feel good about yourself today. Be well. So we can unmute Thank and you, say Kim. goodbye. Thank you, everybody. Take care, everyone. Till Saturday. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs>